Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Podcast. I'm Nikolai Humphreys on Friday, the 4th of June. Next week, Women Deliver 2010, a global conference will be held in Washington, D.C. The theme of the conference is Delivering Solutions for Girls and Women. The Lancet has been actively involved in the Women Deliver movement, and therefore, to tie in with this high-level meeting, this week's issue of The Lancet, dated June the 5th, June the 11th, is a maternal health-themed issue, as is this podcast. I'll talk more about the issue later, but first, let me hand you over to Richard Lane as he talks to Richard Horton about Women Deliver, in particular, what has changed since The Lancet published a series on the topic back in 2007, and to explain in more detail exactly what we can expect from the conference this week. Back in 2007, I think we felt like the ugly sister at the ball. Uh, We were there, but nobody wanted to talk to us, and we really um, didn't have any political traction in the world of global health. What we have in 2010 is a very different situation. Uh, Maternal, newborn, and child health has rocketed up the global agenda, Uh, and has now got enormous support from donor governments such as the United States, agencies uh, such as UNICEF and WHO, and a real social movement has developed. And I think that's been a tremendous success, actually, and it gives us a real opportunity. But at the same time, you know, three or four years ago, there was a lot of cash around in global health, and, of course, in 2010, there isn't. Uh, 2010 people are struggling, even the existing financing mechanisms such as the Global Fund and Gavi are struggling to get replenishment this year. So here is the paradox. The best possible political moment for maternal, newborn and child health, the worst possible time to try and get money to support those programs. And what this conference is trying to do is to bridge the gap between the science and the advocacy which has been so successful and the desperate, urgent need to extract cash to support these programs. Is it fair to say now that in 2010, and there's the Women Deliver conference happening next week in Washington, D.C., um, is, it, is it fair to say now that we know very clearly what the problems are, and it's now a question of scaling up and, and really doing the political work that needs to be done on a much larger and more professional strategic scale? Well, again, the answer to that is a yes and a no. Um, We definitely know what we need to do. We know what the set of interventions are that will reduce maternal mortality, that will protect newborn lives, that will improve child survival. No question about that. We also know that many of the things we've been doing over recent years have been successful. We've seen quite rapid falls in child mortality. We've seen falls in maternal mortality. Um, All this is very good news, but I think the problem that the maternal and child health community faces, certainly when you compare them with the AIDS community, is that we really have to professionalise the way we go about um, asking for support. You know, if you look at the way the Global Fund is pitching for replenishment this year, it's an incredible operation. I mean, what they've done is they've calculated how much money is needed Uh, in order to deliver very precise returns on that investment. So they say, if you give us 17 billion US dollars over the next three years, we can tell you exactly how many cases of TB we can treat, exactly the number of bed nets for malaria we need to distribute, exactly the number of patients who will be on antiretroviral therapy. Um, We can tell you precisely those numbers. The maternal newborn child health community put out great advocacy messages, but they cannot yet tell you exactly what a certain amount of money will buy 
for that investment. And that is a massive failure. It is a crucial weakness in a year where the global economic situation is forcing people to describe more precisely what those returns on investment must be. So what I want to see over the next three months is a huge improvement in the way the maternal newborn child health community gets its act together to ask for the necessary resources. So that must be then about leadership. So is there a, a concern that there are plenty of leaders but not the required leadership? <laughs> you know, that is... I think that is true. Um, we have some fantastic leaders across the maternal, newborn and child health community, but what we don't have is a kind of alignment between those leaders with a single vision about what is needed. What we have at the moment is a maternal community, a newborn community, a child community, a reproductive health community, a health systems community, and they are all fantastic. Each one of them is fantastic. But what they're not fantastic at is getting in a room together and slogging out a message that is completely supportive of one another. Too often, you see competition between these groups. And we've got to get this idea of a continuum of care and mutual support, mutual dependency, interdependency between these groups. We've got to get that right. We still haven't got it right. It's been the death of the maternal health movement over the last 20 years, and it risks still being an obstacle in 2010. So just returning to the Washington DC conference, which takes place June the 7th to the 9th, what are your hopes and expectations about the outcomes of this coming meeting? Well, my hope is that we can really get the people who produce the best possible research side by side with the politicians and policy makers who shape the way that research could be implemented. What is so fantastic about this meeting is that it really does bring the scientific community right next to the policy-making community. And there are so few events in health where that truly takes place. So that's my hope. My expectation is that after this meeting, the MNCH community really gets its act together, buries its differences, uh, puts aside its competitive instincts within its own communities, and forges an alliance with a single vision, a single voice, a single set of asks of policymakers, of donors, so that we go into the meetings later this year, particularly the UN General Assembly, with one clear mission. And that mission is the dependency of children on their mothers, on mothers on their children, and on all of these things, on a better place for women in our society. Gender equity underpins the future of children and of women. And that, if we can get that message across, this meeting will have been a huge success. And final question, Richard. Back in 2000, these Millennium Development Goals were set, and the two very specific ones that relate to maternal and child health are MDG 5 uh, for maternal health and MDG 4 for, for child health. Are we on track? Are they still relevant now, these, these targets, given that we're only five years away from when they should be realised? Yes, they are relevant. We still need to be trying to accelerate progress in child and maternal health. No question about that. But I think what we know now that we didn't really understand a few years ago is, again, the crucial interdependency, not only of maternal health on child health and vice versa, but also 
of maternal and child health on some of the other development goals for health. Vital to get HIV addressed, vital to get malaria addressed, understanding the contribution that TB makes to maternal and child mortality. So what we now recognize, which we didn't before, is that all of these health areas, again, are totally dependent upon one another. You cannot separate out HIV and malaria and say you need a separate program for that compared with maternal and child health. What you actually need is a holistic vision for health. And if you just think about it intuitively, of course that must be the case. You don't think about a woman just with HIV. You think about the woman and her predicaments in the totality. So we need to get out of our silos, we need to get out of our boxes, and we need to find ways to tear down those barriers, those boundaries that divide the global health community and really bridge some of those gaps. Richard, thanks very much and have a great meeting next week. Thank you, Richard. Looking forward to it. Now for some content highlights from this week's issue of The Lancet. An article by Ronsman and colleagues looks at parental death and child survival. The Countdown to 2015 Decade Report, 2000 to 2010, Taking Stock of Maternal, Newborn and Child Survival, is the title of a fascinating review by Buter and colleagues. Richard Horton's comment on the continuing invisibility of women and children provides ten clear reasons why maternal health needs our attention. Also in the journal, a perspectives piece looks at the career of Flavia Bustero and the impact she has had making partnerships for mothers and children. An interview with Flavio Bustero took place last month. And now, to finish this podcast, I'll pass you over to my colleague Kelly Morris in conversation with Flavio Bustero. Thanks. This is Kelly Morris, and I'm speaking to Dr. Flavia Bustrio, the Director of the Partnership for Maternal, Newborn and Child Health, who is on the phone from Delhi. Dr. Bustrio, you have recently been involved with many other partners in the forthcoming Countdown to 2015 report, which analyzes progress towards Millennium Development Goals on maternal and child health. Could you tell me about the report and what the international community needs to hear from its findings? Yes, the Countdown to 2015, uh, we call as we call it, is tracking progress for maternal, newborn, and child survival. We will be launching the report uh, on the 6th of June in Washington at the Women Deliver Conference. We have already shared some of the preliminary analysis, which is, uh, uh, carries a quite interesting message of hope. The work we did uh, together with a number of institutions, uh, multilateral agencies, a lot of very prominent academics uh, from uh, the north and the south of the world, from John Hopkins to Pelotas University to Aga Khan University, the work is basically looking at the coverage of the interventions that are crucial for making progress in maternal, newborn, and child health, at the policies that governments are putting in place to uh, allow those interventions to grow, for example, policies that relate to maternity protection at work, policies that relate to, uh, for example, en enabling free access to care for mothers and children, and we are also looking very much, the analysis looks very much at the aspects of equity, which means across the population in any given country, what, what's the difference between the richest part of the population and the poorest part of the population in the way that they have access to these interventions. And then the fourth part of the analysis looks at the financing. So it looks at the, 
what are the resources that are invested in these interventions, both by the governments and by the development partners but through the development assistance. And we have done that since 2005 in 68 countries that amount to 97% of maternal and child death. So, in other words, we are looking at the not the more than 100 countries that comprise the globe, but the countries that still have the majority of the problem, which in fact includes India. And one of the things that is very, very interesting and important is that we are analyzing whether countries are on track to reach the Millennium Development Goal 4 of reducing maternal mortality and whether their level of maternal mortality is consistent um, with some of the reduction that is called by the Millennium Development Goals. And what we found is that, in fact, there is an increasing number of countries that are becoming on track to reach child mortality, which is a very, very hopeful message. And we are also seeing that the coverage of interventions, uh, some intervention is increasing in many countries, especially, for example, the interventions that are where we have seen large investments. For example, the interventions like vaccines that have been in the last 10 years, very much thanks to the renewed emphasis and investment by the Global Alliance on Vaccine Immunization, we are finding that in those interventions is now coverage is more than 80%. So more than 80% of the children in the world, in those countries, have access to immunization, to the basic schedule of immunization. We still find instead that some other interventions like the ones that are around the period of birth, uh, especially for the newborn and for the mother, we still find that the coverage of those interventions is much lower. So there is a, a critical gap to be filled. I think the other aspect that I like to stress now, and I really invite the readers of The Lancet to read the report and the articles that will appear uh, hopefully <laughs> at that time, um, is that uh, we have uh, looked at um, examples of countries that have made significant progress. So not only we have done the analysis uh, of the coverage of intervention, but try to understand what, um, what made it possible, for example, for a country like Brazil to have already achieved MDG4. How were they able to have so successfully reduced child mortality from 1990 until 2010? And uh, what kind of policies and programs did they put in place in order to achieve that. So I hope that this will be an interesting contribution for countries that would like to uh, achieve that challenge because they will be able to see and understand first that this is very possible and doable and that even countries with uh, limited resources are still seeing significant progress. I'll give you another example. In this region, in fact, Nepal, which is a country that has been plagued by decades of civil strife and conflict, is a country that is on track to reach the Millennium Development Goal of Child Mortality. And they have done so primarily through a community-based approach that has enabled community workers, primarily women, to be able to provide the very basic essential interventions, preventive intervention and very basic treatments at community-based management of pneumonia, very basic, uh, but these are life-saving interventions, and uh, we are seeing the results. 
you have recently called for a doubling of investment into maternal, newborn, and child health after a recent G8 commitment of support. Can you tell me about this? So this um, is a part of the work uh, that we call advocacy work for the partnership for maternal, newborn, and child health, as we have been advocating to investors. Uh, and especially the G8 countries that have had such a prominent role in increasing the investment, for example, in age of AIDS over the last 10 years, we have been advocating to them that the investments in these areas have not, they have seen a positive trend because we have been, uh, through this countdown analysis, we have measured them. So, for example, we have seen that between 2003 and 2006, the development assistance from uh, OECD partners, the partners that are uh, in the Organization for Economic Development, they have basically almost doubled their assistance for maternal, newborn, and child health. But within the G8 countries, some of those countries, including, unfortunately, my own Italy, have not maintained the promises they have made. And therefore, we are calling for them, as they come together this year, uh, under the leadership of the Prime Minister of Canada, to double their development assistance for maternal, newborn, and child health. I shall say that there are very encouraging signs, because the Prime Minister of Canada, Mr. Harper, have already announced in the press, very publicly, that he wants to lead the maternal and child health initiative within the G8. So what we are doing is trying to uh, provide some metrics and measurements to their initiatives because we would not like to have the initiative end in very solemn proclaims but then not translate in additional resources because the reason we are asking for additional investment is that we know, as I explained earlier, that in areas of maternal and child health where significant investments were made, like in vaccine, we have seen the results into the coverage of those interventions. So what we're calling is for investing those additional resources in countries through the plans that the governments have already put in place and they are developing with their partners and focus those resources, especially in the areas that are left behind. For example, one area that we see across countries very, very low is the postnatal visit. So the visits that both the mother and the newborn receive after, after the delivery, two, three days after that. Because, see, the, what has happened is that the mortality has progressively shifted in the children under five in early, early in life. And in fact, now we have a significant number, almost four million deaths that are in fact in the neonatal period, in the first 30 days of life, 28 days in fact. And even more so, we have a significant part of the neonatal deaths that happen within the first few days of life. So that aspect is really still very missing. And the assistance to the mother during the delivery time and the immediate postpartum care is also an aspect that we have, where we have seen the least progress. So we are calling for attention in this very vulnerable part of a woman life and a newborn entering life. Do you you think personally that with this investment, the actual promised investment, that it will be possible to achieve the Millennium Development Goals on both maternal and child health by 2015? 
We are very optimistic that progress can be made. And as I said, we have seen countries making significant progress, including uh, under very difficult circumstances. See, the, what I like to the reader of the Lancet to measure is, is to us, it's not so important whether every country reaches the exact goal, but whether progress is made. Because at the end of the day, when these goals are translated, they are translated in human lives human lives that are saved, human lives that are given more opportunity and more choices. So whether we reach in all countries of the world those goals or not, the important to me is that there is a direction of extreme progress, which we are seeing, and we maintain that commitment over the next five years that will allow the maximum number of lives of women and children to be saved. And this year we are in a very unprecedented uh, position because not only do we have the initiative from Prime Minister Harper within the G8, but we also have the leader of the United Nations, the Secretary General, uh, who has called uh, last month for what he defined a joint action plan uh, that he will launch in September together with several heads of state at the Millennium Summit uh, for the next five years. Uh, in order to accelerate the progress that the world is making towards, in fact, achieving healthy women and healthy children. And uh, we are in a very special position at the Partnership for Maternal, Newborn, and Child Health because we were asked by the Secretary General to try and facilitate, to be the platform that facilitates the development of this action plan and then basically hand it to him so that he can illicit commitments by the heads of state that compose the General Assembly. See, the critical elements, you ask what is important besides the finances, the critical elements that have been missing until very recently in this agenda is how the political commitment was in, and still is in many countries. Because you cannot make progress until and unless the leaders of these countries are talking publicly that this is one of their priorities. One of their priorities in the political sense is one of their priorities in the investment they make. It's one of the priorities in what they measure their government by. And in the last few years, we have seen some leaders coming to the fore and making very sincere and strong commitment, for example, through this global network of leaders for maternal and child health, for example, like President Kikueto, Tanzania has been one of the strongest leaders of this network, and he has made it a priority for his own country, and we have seen encouraging results in Tanzania. They have increased the proportion of the government budget for health. They are already above 11%. They are almost reaching the Abuja target, which is 15% of the government's expenditure for health. And this is something that he talks to his people. He talks on the radio, and he talks on the television. He talks when he speaks to his people. This is something that is uh, a priority for the leader of the country. So uh, these dynamics that the Secretary General has created of political commitment is a truly important one which we were missing in many countries so far. And I have a sincere hope that by the end of this process, we will have many more leaders of the world that will come to the fore with making a specific commitments that will be 
could be a policy commitment, for example, of removal of barriers to access. Some leaders last year did that. They announced very publicly that they were removing user fees for uh, mothers and children to access healthcare. And of course, we are hoping also that there will be significant commitments from partners and government and private sectors that are not part of the G8, because we would like this financial gap to be really filled over the next five years. Dr. Bustrail, thank you for talking to The Lancet. Thanks to everyone that contributed to this week's podcast. From me, Nicola Humphreys, and all of us at The Lancet, goodbye.